You're listening to Black in Boston with Brandy G and Terrence J on WRBB 104.9 FM. So friends, thank you for listening to Black in Boston. Our goal for this podcast is to give a holistic view of our experiences thus far and going forward in Boston and the different nuances we've had since being here. Being African-American and from the South is probably going to be a much different experience than being in the North. And so we just want to share that experience and have people come along with us as we go forth on our journey in Boston. Um, This week is going to be very basic. We just want to introduce ourselves and give a feel for who we are and what our podcast will be about. And child, there is a lot to discuss. You're exactly right. And, you know, each week we will open the show with a little sum-sum we call inspiration and dedication. So basically, um, something inspires us and we share that with you in ways in which we plan to dedicate this inspiration to some facet of our lives. So it could be a poem we read. It could be an interaction with the person we had on the street. It could be, you know, a certain uh, a certain couple of sentences from a book. Basically, anything that inspired us, right? So with that, um, my ID or my inspiration dedication this week is a woman I follow on Instagram uh, by the name of Brittany Renner. Renner is a Mississippi native, just like me, and she completely defies everything that is stereotypical um, when it comes to the expectation of a woman, right? She isn't anyone else. She doesn't want to be anyone else. And she lives life honestly and unapologetically. And she's very, very self-aware. Um, girl gets on the gram and discusses her body count. I mean, she reads pretentious men for filth. And she supports women loving their bodies and owning their bodies. Um, so I plan to dedicate this level of authenticity to every facet of my life, including this podcast, while also supporting women to love themselves and love their bodies without shame. And I honestly feel like there aren't enough men who um, support women wholeheartedly and support women owning their bodies and owning their decisions and, um, you know, not taking the lead and, and truly allowing the women to, like, shine through in their own lives. So, yes, girl. Shout out to Miss Brittany Renner. Yes, to being unapologetically ourselves and giving an unfiltered peek into our lives as Southern African American kids, or I guess I should say young adults now. Right, right, right. Navigating our new lives in Boston. That being said, it's high time for us to introduce ourselves, Terrence. Let's do it. My name is Brandy, and I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And when I say Atlanta, I don't mean Decatur or Smyrna or Fayetteville or whatever other areas people claim when they say Atlanta. I am from the true heart of Atlanta, the city of Atlanta. I went to Atlanta public schools like I am Atlanta. All right. Um, I grew up on the west side. West side. Oh, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) And loved every bit of my upbringing. That being said, I have no intentions on moving back to Atlanta, which is why I'm really excited to explore Boston and see if I can, you know, consider this as a potential permanent home post-graduation. Right. Um, So, friends, my good sis Brandy grew up in a fairly large and hidden city. I mean, growing up, I heard about a lot of people moving to Atlanta. Um, I have a lot of family that lives in Atlanta. It was just, you know, one of those one of those southern cities that everybody just 
knew about, really. Um, me, on the other hand, I grew up in the country, right? I grew up in Sugarlock, Mississippi. Yes, Sugarlock. How do you even spell that? <laughs> so, Sugarlock is actually spelled S H U Q U A L A K. Bow. Yeah, I'm going to let you, going to let our audience. Um, think about that for a minute. Um, <laughs> I'm a good old country boy at heart. I grew up, you know, hauling hay and riding horses and stuff. And throughout this podcast, the more comfortable that I get, I promise you will hear some southern slang. Some southern slang. Um, if you don't already hear it now, I mean, let's be honest. And I think that's super important because, you know, we both came from the South, but we have extremely different experiences. Right. I came from a big city in the South, which I'm sure is a very different experience from Sugarlock, Mississippi. It is. It is, girl. I mean, like, <laughs> we don't even have, we don't have stoplights. Like, there's only stop signs in my in my hometown. Oh, child. Um, Dirt think, roads and horses and carriages. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have, you know, we have vehicles, you know, we're not that far behind. Um, but I mean, it's only like a population of 600 people. So it's very, very small, right? Um, See, my graduating class was 600 people. No, girl. So never. There's that. <laughs> my childhood was amazing, though. We all learned how to like work and work hard. Um, there were a lot of summers where we were like picking peas, picking corn, like, all of that kind of stuff out in the field. Um, I We all kind of grew up knowing each other. It was very communal and close. Like, where I lived in Sugarlock was called um, Down on the River, or he's he's from the river. Down um, <laughs> on the river. <laughs> so, yeah, my family, we live extremely close to the Noxubee County River. And so that was the area that everyone referred to when they were talking about where I was from, right? Um. But yeah, I will forever love Sugarlock, Mississippi and the people who changed my life. It was growing up there, being educated there. It was definitely one of the best experiences of my life for sure. With that, coming from Mississippi um, and getting to Boston was completely different in a lot of ways for me personally, right? Um, so Brandy, what exactly did you notice um, what was an extreme difference from being back home in the South compared to being here in Boston? So I would say the biggest difference I've noticed, and I want to preface this by saying I don't think this is a bad thing, but the people here just aren't as friendly as the people are back home. And I've grown to learn that people in the South are just overly polite. Um, you know, you're nice to everyone. If you walk past someone in the morning on the street, you say, good morning, you are at the grocery store, you ask the cashier how their day was, and that mm -hmm. is just so out of the norm in Boston. Right. And I remember when I was first moving in, my mom <laughs> was so annoyed and so upset because she felt like everyone here was so rude. Right. And I was like, you know what, Mom? You just have to meet people where they are. You know, they're not rude. They're not mean. They just aren't overly and outwardly polite because that's just not who they are. Um, so I still catch my, some of my Southern ways, you know, I might be walking down the street and I'm like, oh, good morning. Or I'm out checking my mailbox and I'm waving to the neighbors, mm -hmm. you know, good old Being Southern, sweet, right? <laughs> good old Southern hospitality. Um, and yes, I do get very funny looks when I do that sometimes, but it's just the Southern girl in me and I, I really can't help it. Speaking of the Southern girl in me, 
I say y'all a lot. Right. And no one here says y'all. Mm-hmm. And it stresses me out. Right. <laughs> do you get funny looks when, when people hear you say y'all? Because I know I do. <laughs> I think, A, I get funny looks when people hear me say y'all. But I also find myself giving funny looks back to people when they say y'all and I can tell they're not from the South and I'm like, what is this language you're trying to adapt? Like, (laughs) you don't even say y'all correctly. They're trying to connect with you, Brandy. Trying to connect and, you know, trying to bring some of that Southern goodness to Boston. Um, So what about you? Like, what's the biggest difference you've noticed? So listen, I have to be honest, okay? Um, For me, one of the first things that I noticed just because... Um, I'm really aware of just, like, who I'm around in general. I noticed that, like, the respective areas of Boston, um, there are different groups of people where um, they live in those areas, if that makes sense. Like, in Back Bay, where I live, there isn't necessarily a high concentration of black and brown people in the area. It seems to be very similar to Fenway in that respect, that there aren't just, like, huge amounts of black and brown people in these areas. But in spaces like Roxbury, Dorchester, and Jamaica Plain, there seems to be a much higher concentration of black and brown um, people. So Boston seems to be very much so um, de facto segregated, right? Like, it's not segregated by law, but um, maybe there are other reasons why these um, groups of people are living where they are in Boston. Um, which is evident when looking at Northeastern alone. I walked on campus and immediately noticed that there weren't a lot of black students specifically on campus. And um, according to the undergraduate website, um, the undergrad population is about only 6% black, which is extremely different for me because Mississippi has an extremely high concentration of black people in general. And then 14% of my undergrad institution was black. So, girl, I was like, wait a minute, you know, like, stop. And for those who don't know what that means, it just means wait a minute, you know, get some some education today. Um, so, yeah, that surprised me because of this, this idea that, you know, the North was so not like the South with respects to race. Um, and so I, I just think in some ways, no, it isn't. And in some other ways, yes, it it really is. See, that wasn't as big as a shocker for me because Atlanta is very similar, as well as my undergraduate university because I went to Wake Forest in North Carolina. So in Atlanta, it's very diverse, and you see people of all different skin types, incomes, sexual preferences, whatever the case may be. And there are definitely areas that are more concentrated of one certain type of person. For example, if you go to Buckhead, you know that you will probably see more white American people than African American people. Or if you go downtown, you'll probably see more black people. Um, And so I guess because that's just how my city was growing up, I didn't really see it as being very different when I came here. Um, same with Wake Forest. Wake Forest was a predominantly white institution like University of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, for the most part, the black community was extremely small. Everyone kind of knew everyone. But I just took that as an opportunity to get out and, you know, diversify my friend group and try to right. make have a different perspective and not try to make it all about, like, oh, I'm the little brown girl in the room, you know, 
how is this so different from what I'm used to? And so, I mean, in regards to the neighborhoods and the way that things are different here, I guess I haven't really gotten out much because I do live in Fenway, and of course, Northeastern is centered in the next neighborhood over. My gym is in Back Bay, and outside of that, I don't really get out much. The first time I explored a different neighborhood was for a class assignment where I had to go to Mission Hill because we're doing this collaborative collaborative project called the Mission Hill 100 where um, we're just bringing attention to some of the issues in that neighborhood and the woman that I interviewed noted one of the biggest issues facing the, facing the neighborhood is gentrification. Um, and I, I personally feel like I haven't gotten out enough to notice true segregation or that could just be a completely different worldview where my mind doesn't even click to things like that. But that's an interesting point you bring up because Boston has historically been known as a racist city. So this could be some sort of, you know, there could be some sort of historical context to the way or the reason why, reasons why people of certain ethnicities live in different areas. Um, And I know the city is doing a lot to change that perception. So that being said, have you explored any of these areas more or hung out around different neighborhoods or is this kind of just a first perception you had upon arriving and kind of driving through? So I've been to Jamaica Plain and Roxbury, um, and I went with um, people who were either living in the area or have lived in Boston for a number of years years and are familiar with the area. And some of those uh, parts that I was in were um, essentially going through gentrification as well. And I just... I just immediately noticed how there was an increase in black and brown people just in general. Like I said, I just pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I see more people that look like me. This is dope. Okay, get it. Um, I saw how some of those, like I said, areas were going through gentrification. And I noticed how sometimes in a specific neighborhood, I could go like one block down, walk like five minutes, 10 minutes, and it would feel like I was in a completely different area than I was before. Um, I just thought that was extremely different. Um, I also could be noticing this more because the population in general is just so is so dense compared to where I came come from. Um, so that could be like another nuance to the situation, right? Um, because it is so dense, I'm just... It's one of the things that really jumps out to me. Um, Like you said, I also went to a predominantly white institution, the University of Mississippi. Um, And I've always had, like, a very diverse friend group. I've always been, like, the welcoming friend. I was always a friend with many friends. Um, It was just really different being on campus and rarely seeing any black people, right? Because, like I said, the university that I graduated from was 14, roughly 14% black. So you may not have a lot of classes with people who look like you, but in general, just walking around, there was a very prominent um, presence on campus. Um, You didn't have, like, sometimes here being on campus, I can go, like, days at a time without necessarily seeing a different person or specifically a black person of color. I think you have to hear, it's much more of an effort to see people of color. Um, so since you say this was not necessarily a shock for you, was that one of the reasons why you chose to go to Northeastern to get your graduate degree? 
So when I was looking at universities, and this goes from my undergraduate experience too, I didn't necessarily look at the population of people on campus because, again, I was very used to coming from a diverse background. I was very used to, you know, sometimes being the only black girl in the room. So that wasn't a big deal for me necessarily. I mostly chose Northeastern because of the co-op program. And I graduated college a year early with a degree in communication and art history. And I've kind of always known that I wanted to go into journalism, but I didn't really dedicate a ton of my time to pursuing journalism in undergrad because um, Wake Forest just doesn't have a huge journalism kind of program, which is why I chose the communication route because I was like, okay, this is very similar to journalism. You know, I'll still get some of that experience. I'll still be in a field that's related to what I think I eventually want to go into. Um, So upon graduation, I felt like I had the skills to be a great communicator, but not necessarily the skills to be the best journalist. So I didn't feel comfortable immediately applying to jobs in the field, which brings me back to the co-op program here. Um, A lot of the schools that I looked at for my graduate program requested 15 published articles, 30 work samples, 10 letters of recommendations from all the internships that you've held throughout your undergraduate undergraduate experience, and I didn't really have those. Um, I definitely wrote for a few smaller publications while I was in undergrad, but for the most part, that I wasn't really thinking long-term in terms of my career. Um, And when it comes to the schools I was looking at, I was like, listen, I'm paying you so that I can learn these skills. I'm not paying you more money to relearn everything I already learned in undergrad because I feel like that defeats the purpose. Um, So I guess my purpose for coming here was to learn all these skills that I felt like I missed in undergrad and to start building a portfolio so that I can be confident in applying to jobs post-graduation from my master's program. Um, So to go back to your question, I didn't really think about the campus population at all. It was more so what's going to be the best program for me to help me advance in the field that I really want to pursue. Um, What about you? How did you end up at Northeastern? So, honestly, I chose Northeastern for many reasons. Um, Many, 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 many reasons. Uh, The people in the College of Arts, Media, and Design really made me feel comfortable in the fact that I would be supported in any way to push my journalism skill set, right? I'm one of those people who really, um, really goes off of energy and people and their vibes and all of that kind of stuff. So specifically, Aleshu was one of those people who immediately took me under his wing and really made me feel completely supported and all this other kind of stuff. Um, And so throughout the application process, I would be sending him work, um, you know, that I was still doing in my undergrad institution where I would, whether it was you know, some op-ed or some opinion piece or some, you know, news story that I was covering. I would send it in and he would give me feedback. So, you know, that type of stuff, um, that type of interaction that he specifically didn't have to do, but he chose to do anyway, really gave me a good uh, feeling as far as like the um, J school here. 
um, my bachelor's degree is in journalism. So I came in relatively prepared to practically write for a publication or um, essentially be on-air talent, like many of my classmates who did go straight into the workforce. Um, I noticed that all of my journalism work focused on social injustices and marginalized people, um, and Northeastern's media advocacy program gave me that freedom to continue to work on my journalism skills while also learning a different craft, which I love. Also, the J School, like you said, is highly ranked. So um, that was important to me because that let me know that I was going to receive a great education. Um, And plus, I don't have to pay for school. Thank you, God, which uh, is extremely important to me. Initially, I thought that I was supposed to be at the University of California at Berkeley, right? This was my dream school. I was like (laughs) about to go live life in the Bay Area. Um, But I know that where I am right now is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And um, I'm really solidified in that, you know? Um, Now, we all know that... Well, since we're talking about getting degrees, uh, we all know that the terrain of America is changing drastically with regard to the workforce. Why do you think it's important to even pursue an advanced degree now instead of waiting until later, like a lot of people that we know, you know, maybe professors or family members, a lot of people, you know, got that bachelor's degree and went straight into the workforce, but then years later decided to come back. So why do you think uh, it was important important to just go straight out? So I was always the person that had a ton of older friends, and I feel like this was good for me going into my senior year because I feel like I got to see both sides of the token. I definitely had some friends that went straight through to grad school and I had some friends that went straight into the job market or the workforce. And I think it's kind of to each their own. If you feel confident and able to go into the workforce and you're ready to get out there and start building a career and making money, I think that's fantastic. But if you're like me and you want to learn more about the field that you think you're interested in pursuing, I think grad school is definitely the route to go. So for me, it was less about the job opportunities and more about being confident in my abilities to get a job. Um, Eventually feeling ready to enter the workforce and securing a long-term career. But most importantly, I really wanted to choose a career that I would be happy with and feel fulfilled in. For me, I've always said I would much rather wake up and love what I do every day rather than make a billion dollars and be extremely miserable every day that I have to wake up and go to work. That's important. So if we're being completely honest, I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing in grad school right now. And I think the material material I'm learning is extremely interesting, especially because the scope of journalism is changing drastically. Thanks. But part of me wishes I would have taken a gap year to figure out exactly what it is that I want to do. Um, In my eyes, I'm still way ahead of the curve since I did graduate from undergrad a year early. And I think I may still end up choosing a different career path in the long run. But I was nervous that if I didn't get a second degree right after graduation, I would kind of burn out and never do it. Because Mm -hmm. I always heard people say, you know, the more time you wait to go back to school, the less likely it is that it'll happen. And for me, I was like, if this is going to happen, it needs to happen now. (laughs) And it's my money and I need it now. It's my money and I need it now. 
now. <laughs> and um, the other thing is that I still wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do, and I'm a big proponent of not wasting time. So even right now, I still feel a little confused sometimes about what exactly it is that I want to do. But at least I know I'm still advancing and progressing in some way or another, which is really important to me. Um, so my biggest goal for the program and my biggest hope for this program is that I can really find myself and figure out what I'm passionate about and go forth with that in mind. So again, choose a career that I'm satisfied with. Right. I'm typically such a go-getter and I'm slowly learning that sometimes it's better to just take a step back from things. And I'm slowly learning that sometimes it's better to take a step back from things and make a more informed decision that's more well thought out rather than taking a path based on what you're quote unquote supposed to do. In this case, it was basically start your career or go back to school. And I knew I wasn't ready to enter the workforce. So I was like, okay, well, back to school it is. Um, I chose the latter based on something I thought I genuinely wanted to pursue. And don't get me wrong, I do thoroughly enjoy the program. But again, I wish I just would have taken a little more time um, just to figure out exactly what it is that I want to do and what career path I want to take. But that's fair. I think that's fair. On the opposite token, for you, I know you did a ton of journalism work at your undergrad institution. And not to toot your horn, but it seems like you would have been a great candidate for any company upon graduation from your undergrad. So Thank you, friend. Why did you decide to go <laughs> straight through to grad school? Um, well, for me, there were many reasons, honestly. For one, like you, I knew that if I did not get my degree right after graduation, the likelihood of me pursuing it later on would be extremely low, right? Like, I, I felt that if I went straight into the workforce, I was, I'm one of those people, I was just going to work and keep working and work and well, keep working. And that's what I've heard. It's like once you get out there, you get so used to making money and working a nine to five and you kind of get in this promotion mindset where it's like, okay, I need to hit all these goals so exactly. I can hit the next rank that school kind of falls by the wayside if exactly. you don't just go for it. Exactly. And that's completely the opposite of what I wanted, right? I wanted to just go ahead and get it Especially since I was, I just finished undergrad and I was already in the groove of school. And so it's, um, our programs both are only two years. So I was like, you know, Terrence, like you can dedicate this two years to improving yourself and then you'll have the rest of your life to work as much as you want to, right? Um, well, because, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, two years isn't an extremely long time. I mean, exactly. Trump has already been president for two years. Girl, and that's a different episode. <laughs> that's another <sis>. episode, another <laughs> topic for another episode. Right. But, no, I do agree that two years just isn't a long time in the grand scheme of things, especially if you're advancing your own personal brand. Exactly. Um, and I also wanted to stand out in comparison to, like, other persons that wanted to be on-air talent because... I definitely want to be on air talent um, and talk about I wanted to stand out in comparison to those people who wanted to talk about social issues and things like that, because I, I do want to focus on social issues. But I also want to mix that with entertainment and really create an inviting situation for people to learn and talk and uh, walk away from uh, whatever 
content I bring to the table walk away extremely educated and comfortable in what they know, right? Um, so I wanted to be well-versed in this specific area. That way I could better articulate that information to my audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that that legitimizes your standpoint if people can uh, say, or if you can say as a producer of any type of content that I have this focus in this area and I've done this, you know, and I've put right. in the hours. To me, that just legitimizes what you say in a sense. Um, and I also wanted to be closer to a larger market. Um, as far as just news and television in general, because girl, now if I wanted to go back to Mississippi and be on air talent, I could be in a relatively quote unquote large market, but that's just not what I saw for myself, right? Shout out to all the people who do that on the daily because it's such a a beautiful job and it's such an important role. Um, I just didn't. I just didn't want that for myself, right? And I have some right. friends in the... In and the, it, it's in, important that you recognize that, right, too. Right, I think so, too, because I have some friends um, that are like, yeah, I really don't... Shout out to you, Terrence, because I really don't want to do the larger market thing. Like, I really want to stay local. Um, all of those jobs on every level are completely important, right? Um, I just knew that for me, I wanted to be somewhere different. Being here for two years, if I can dedicate these two years strictly to improving my skill set, right, improving my craft, improving everything about my journalism skill set, about my brand, like we were saying, all that kind of stuff, if that will put me on a higher totem pole as far as like markets and job opportunities and all that kind of stuff, I'm willing to dedicate that two years of my life to that, right? Um, I know that there is a lot you can learn in the field um, because of like my internships and all that kind of stuff. I got that type of experience for a semester or summer, um, which I know I'll learn again as I continue any job, but it was just very important for me to have those credentials behind my name because like I said I think it legitimizes what I say to my listeners right like they're more I think they'll pay attention and take what I say to heart um, more seriously especially in a time where the integrity of journalism is being challenged and really dismantled and disintegrated and so on so many fronts right Um, so yeah I think me legitimizing my brand was another reason that I wanted to pursue an advanced degree. And I agree with starting somewhere. You know, that's extremely important. For me, similar to what I said earlier, if I didn't take that first step and just say, okay, I'm going to go get this master's, it's like, what would I be doing right Right, now? You know, like, would I be working at an entry-level position where I wasn't really fulfilled and wasn't happy, or am I here doing something that you know, maybe I won't end up pursuing it for sure, but I am at least advancing my skill set and learning more and building my brand, as you like to say. Um, So that being said, again, everyone has to start somewhere, which is why I'm really excited about our podcast, primarily because this is my first true piece of quote-unquote journalism that I'm producing, my first time being on air. So I'm really excited to share this experience with you and our listeners. And I think the content we'll produce will be 
extremely inviting. Yes. And people will really get to walk alongside us and see what this journey is like in Boston. Right. Which, I mean, especially for the folk back home who right. have probably never been to Boston, they're mm-hmm. all about what's happening there, what's going on with you. And now they can just tune in and get a little glimpse into our lives. So I'm really excited about this. And, I mean, we've already hit on so many topics today. And this is only a little taste of what we have in store because we have so many ideas and the ball just Girl, keeps rolling. It does. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just really pumped to see what comes of this. So for all of our listeners, no matter where you are out there, be sure to tune in for our next ep- episode where I tell Miss Brandy G all about New Boy. Mm. I know you want to know about New Boy, right? Right? I know. I know, and we're going to get to New Boy. We'll get he to, might be old boy by then. We'll, we'll get to New Boy, and we're going to discuss dating in your 20s and what the dating scene in Boston has looked like so far. Because mm-hmm. I know, at least for my friends, everyone has kind of been like, girl, you're going to go to Boston, and you're going to meet you a nice northern man. Right. and. Flop, what right. a flop so far. So <laughs> we're really excited to talk about this. And this is the tea that you do not want to miss. This episode of Black in Boston was hosted by Brandy G and Terrence J. Our producers are Catherine Garcia, WRBB's podcast director, and Parker Brown, WRBB's general manager. This episode of Black in Boston was mixed and edited by Benjamin Harrell. Special thanks to the WRBB leadership staff, Northeastern University, the College of Art, Media, and Design, and Northeastern Student Activity Fee for funding this podcast. Our theme music is by Mississippi artist Flower Child, and it's called Finer Things. Head to wrbbradio.org where you can find the latest episodes of all of our podcasts, listen to our internet live stream, and read up on the latest music reviews. And make sure to follow us on all social media at wrbbradio. Be sure to also follow us on Instagram at ybrandy, and that's brandy with an I, and here as terrence.j. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, friends, on Black, Black in Boston. Boston.